0: podcast series, Conversations on African Philanthropy. Welcome to yet another episode on Conversations on African Philanthropy with me, Beginkos Moyo, the Director of the Center on African Philanthropy and Social Investment at the Vest Business School. This morning, I'm joined by Malik Dasso, who is with the African Climate Foundation. Welcome, Malik. Thanks very much. And um, just before we came on set, we were talking about this new looming possible pandemic around the erosion, but also the possibility that the world might run out of horrible soil. And I I, I realized that you actually studied soil physics. Uh, What is soil physics to begin with?
1: Sure. So, um, soil physics, we basically, in soil science, you divide it into soil physics and soil chemistry. Soil physics is basically how the structure of soil works, um, how it's built up, how it gets eroded over time, and how the dynamics within it support plant life and, and um, other forms of animal, insect and um, fungi life.
0: And you are telling me that, in fact, I was saying to you that there's an activist who has been arguing that by 2035, the world is likely to run out of soil. And in this case, we're talking about good usable soil, especially for agriculture purposes. And you are more or less confirming that. And uh, what, are, what are the focus and trends when it comes to the management of land, but also thinking about the soil? Because, look, we're all talking about agriculture as the you know, the way to sustain our communities. But we are not talking about this product, which is an ingredient to actually making agriculture work, which is the soil. And if in a few years' time we are going to run short of soil, how then are we going to succeed in sustaining communities through agriculture?
1: Mm. Well, I think it's important to first start by saying about 95% of the food that we eat is dependent on healthy soils, right? So just, just as, a, as a way of framing it, um, if we lose soils, we lose our ability to eat. Um, And it's true that we are losing soils at much faster rates than they build up. Soils take huge amounts of time to actually uh, be formed and become uh, fertile enough so that we can um, uh, grow crops on them. But the way we use our land at the the moment, the removal of of plants, the ploughing and the tillage of, of those lands to get them ready for agricultural production, uh, our our incredible use of pesticides and fertilisers, which erode all the all this um, the life forms that actually make the soil usable, um, those are all disappearing at rates much faster than they can replenish. So we are looking at really dangerous trends in um, yeah in how we manage our soils.
0: And so I've been following some of the conversations uh, closely on climate change, and right now as We are speaking a lot of our colleagues are in Egypt at the COP27. Is this element of soil preservation part of the conversations as we speak?
1: Hardly, hardly. hardly. I mean, and, we, and why is that? Yeah, well, for one, we're struggling to even get food on the agenda of COP. This is going to be the first COP where food is actually, um, yeah, where it's actually featuring. I mean, we, we recently with um, the Global Alliance for the Future of Food, which is a group of philanthropies, international philanthropies focused on food systems. They put out a letter to the COP presidency saying put it on the agenda. But you know, soil is it, it's many degrees of separation away from even food in a lot of politicians' mind. They don't see it as a, as a um, threat at the moment. I'm hoping that um, you know, the, the, the soil scientists come out in full force and, and really bring it to the attention because it's yeah. a fundamental part. It both contributes to climate change in huge ways um, and is impacted by droughts, floods, um, extreme weather events.
0: Yeah. I, I suppose it almost sounds impossible when you say in a few years we are going to run short of soil. Uh, most people don't register that because soil is almost in abundance. You know, we see it everywhere we go, we step on it. You know? It's almost like there can never be a time when we run short of soil. But we are talking about soil that will be productive for for, for agricultural purposes, and so that's where the focus should be. Which takes me to where you are located, the African Climate Foundation. Uh, For those that don't know much about the foundation, uh, when was it established, what is its mandate, and uh, what are the activities that uh, the foundation is engaged in?
1: Sure. So
0: the African Climate
1: Foundation is a a relatively young foundation. We've been set up for just over two years now. Um, And we were sort of established as a way of recognizing that a lot of international philanthropies wanted to invest in climate change in Africa, but didn't really understand how to. And the narratives that they were using were very much informed by uh, European um, sort of concepts of how um, African economies work. And so the recognition was that they needed an um, African-led, African-based regranter to actually guide and and lead um, how philanthropies look at the sector. So that was the initial um, uh, establishing point. So we were sort of set up as a regranter back then. Um, But since then, we've grown incredibly quickly. Um, We're expanding into um, lots of different countries on the continent with different portfolios of work, uh, focused mainly on energy transitions, uh, agriculture and sustainable land use, and then uh, also urban settlements. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, maybe one other point to mention here is that we are, we are building ourselves as a thought leader on this nexus between development and climate change. We, we're seeing development as a fundamental response to addressing any climate um, yeah, responses.
0: So to, so to most people, um, again, just we're talking about the issue of soil, To most people, climate is also something that they hear about. Uh, Some are beginning to see some physical manifestations of the challenges that are likely to come, but it hasn't really been a key focus of most people, including philanthropists. It's only recent that we see the rise of climate philanthropy. In fact, I don't know what your research is telling you, but a couple of years back, the the statistics were that only 2% of global finance goes to climate change. Uh, Has there been a change? Are you seeing a change in people's perceptions, but also in people's uh, programming around climate change Mm. and uh, its related effects?
1: Yeah, it is changing. Uh, It's changing, but too slowly at the moment. Um, I think you know one of the one of the problems. I mean, there've been philanthropies that have been you know around for a decade or two, um, and they've been trying to sound alarms, but it hasn't really resonated. And I think. One of the reasons for that is that climate change has been seen as strictly an environmental issue that hasn't made its way into developmental narratives. Um, But What we're seeing uh, across the continent especially uh, is that you cannot cannot differentiate between them. The drought in the Horn of Africa this year, putting Somalia, uh, Ethiopia um, basically on the brink of famine, um, you know, these are issues that require urgent attention from the philanthropic community. And there's, there's really good examples of where philanthropy has actually stepped in to encourage other forms of investment, whether it be foreign direct investment, public investment into a sector because of, you know, better guidance on how to invest. And then also the private sector de-risking those investments for them. There's People are making moves, but it's, it is moving too slowly at the moment.
0: Yeah. And of course, I think before we, 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 we came on set, we were talking about why you are here at the PASA conference, where you know the theme is pause, reflect, and uh, almost reset to start thinking about the future. And of course, there's no future without addressing issues of climate and climate change-related consequences. But one of the things that you were saying, and I think I agree with you, is that philanthropy is programmed specifically for certain interests. So it's education, it's health, is you know poverty is inequality or is just climate but those intersections are slowly taking place but also at a very slow pace do you think we could do more in terms of framing and conceptualization so that philanthropists can actually see those intersections so that when you are programming on education you must also think about the implications of climate on education and the same applies Climate on inequality, climate on health, and so forth and so on.
1: Mm. Yeah, look, it, it is very difficult. It's a conversation that I've been having with a few yeah. people here today uh, over the past two days. I think the you know the first thing to do, and you mentioned it uh, as being the theme of this event, is to pause, set, and, and reset. Um, is to realize that climate change, at some point, will have implications for millions, and it's 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 about famine and it's about um, displacement and it's about putting immense pressure on state resources which are already stretched. Yeah. Um, and so in many ways, without an effective climate response, much of the work that most people do becomes obsolete. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's, the, that's the sort of starting point is that everyone needs to be looking at this. I think what makes it difficult is core mandates of different philanthropies, convincing boards uh, that they need to start branching out in how they look at climate. And I, I think, you know, sometimes that, that linkage is, is a lot clearer for some than it is for others. But I, I I do see groups that are working in that space as being fundamental. So groups like the African Climate Foundation guiding philanthropies yeah. so that yeah. we're not reinventing the wheel. We're looking at groups who are already involved. and We're seeing how we can support
0: them. And globally, there's already lots of groups that are working on this, your wings and others. Is it climate action that already are focusing on this? But in the African continent, who are the other players that you you work with? Because you, you have been set up, obviously, to coordinate, but also to almost be the anchor for this kind of work. But like you said, others have already been working in this space, maybe without calling their work climate-focused. But they could have been focusing on environment, on food security and other things, which are components of the broader discussion on climate. And so are there already like specific actors that, you know, you you can say we are coalescing our efforts together to address the issues of climate change? Do you
1: mean specifically in the finance space?
0: Yeah, in the finance space, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, so the interesting thing about this is that um, what we at the ACF really are trying to do is to exactly that. We're not trying to work with the same actors who've been involved. We're trying to show everyone that this is a fundamental issue that needs to be tackled. So uh, when it comes to the finance space, we are working with, um, you know, we we, we try and uh, bring everyone in. So whether it's private investors, whether it's public sector engagement, um, all those forms of finance that need to be directed towards more strategic investments. we're working with them, and one one clear example is how we've done that um, with South African Just Energy Transition Partnership.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then of course the road to COP 27 has several groups working on different asks. Uh, what has the road been for you uh, as the foundation? I know one of your colleagues is already there at the COP 27. What, what do you expect to see come out of COP 27 for you and the network that you work with?
1: Sure. Um, A a few things. One is um, conversations around loss and damage, um, which is a big discussion about how we um, adjust to the impacts that climate change has already um, taken on on countries. So whether it be the floods in Nigeria, how do we respond to that Uh, and the financing around that, who pays for those um, impacts. I'm hoping that a lot more clarity comes out from that. more details on, for example, South Africa's Just Energy Transition Partnership, that $8.5 billion deal uh, that was announced at COP26 last year. We still need details on that. Um, conversations around food and food security. I mean, COP being in Africa is a real chance for that to feature more prominently because continents aren't as stressed with food security as Africa is. And so... Having proper conversations and proper outcomes and commitments made on on food security is, is a real expectation that we're, we're wanting to see on the COP presidency. Um, I mean, there are a number of others, but um, I think what, what one thing we really want to see is finance actually being moved from just pledges to actually dispersed yeah. um, to yeah. those who need
0: and of course, at some point, um, I think I had discussions with Alan and, uh, and your colleague Faten around the need to establish a network of African philanthropists who are focused solely on climate uh, issues. Uh, would, would that be something that you think would um, kind of be a game changer of some sorts? Uh, and why is that important?
1: Sure. I, I think it would be a game changer. Um... I mean, philanthropies are really well placed for an issue like climate, right, where uh, initial investments aren't seeing, um, you know, huge returns in the short term. Um, but, you know, with with different framings around them, you actually, you, you can't, you can't not have them. So philanthropy is having that patient capital to invest into projects that um, have those long term benefits is fundamental. And when you're able to pull resources like that together and crowd in investment from uh, public and private sectors. I think that's that's a real game changer. So philanthropies have that fundamental step to play in yeah. those sort of first mover positions.
0: Yeah, and then of course here at Ipasa, you also made a presentation yesterday. What was your what what were what your key messages, and what did you make of the interventions and the participation of the different philanthropies that are here?
1: Mm. So I think the the one thing I wanted to communicate is that um, you know. Climate change is not some far off event. It's, it's happening now and it's going to get a lot worse very quickly. Um, and so we need to be moving much more urgently than we are. And all philanthropies need to play their part. The thing that um, the conversations that I was having yesterday, I mean, everyone you know, who, who I spoke to afterwards recognized the need to invest in climate. What was hard is for them to see how to do that. Um, if your core mandate isn't on climate, how do you get involved? um and you know there, there are ideas so uh, the the ipasa along with us uh developed the climate change toolkit for for philanthropies that i would really recommend as a resource but i mean there's other things uh philanthropies committing pledges or pledging financing even if it's not part of your core mandate supporting the groups that are in that space yeah is uh, is another way of, yeah. of doing that
0: are there are there any climate funds in the continent that uh Philanthropists could contribute to, or groups that are working on climate change and other related environmental issues can also look towards in terms of getting their work supported. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, you you are in the space, so maybe you could enlighten mm. uh, our viewers on any of the resources that are out there.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be cheeky and, and punt ACF, and the reason <laughs> the reason why I'm going to yeah, say yeah. that is because. You know, ACF, uh, we're, we're a granter, yeah. right? So yeah. so we play this funny role of having to fundraise yeah. and we'll then disperse funds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there there are groups, right, um, who are doing the actual work on the ground that need that kind of support. Yeah. Yeah. And working with the ACF to sort of identify those interventions, be thought partners. Yeah. So even if it's yeah. not funding, we, we can. there's a lot of work that can be yeah. done on that sort of co-funding arrangements or... Um, yeah thought leadership partnerships that that can be developed
0: and then of course we are wrapping up but I'm I'm interested in knowing the person behind the work how did you end up in soil physics land management and now in climate uh, change uh, issues there has to be something that drove you into this line of work
1: yeah I I wanted to do agriculture for when I was in high school but um, yeah my parents didn't think it was a it was a useful path to, to take at the time, it was too specific. But um, it's a passion I've always had, and the reason why is because I wanted to work in a sector that was always needed. Yeah. So an issue like food security is something that will never go yeah. out of out of necessity. So that was why I wanted to find myself there. I went into um, into soil physics because I recognized the need for technicians on the continent. Uh, specialists who are working on on these issues, because um, we have we have a lack of, of yeah. expertise yeah. on the continent. In fact, I wanted
0: to ask before we proceed: mm. how many do you have? A, do you have an estimate of how many soil oh. uh, are they soil physicists? Uh, do you have an estimate of how many there are? I think it's my first time meeting one. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I've met I've met about four or five yeah, in yeah. South Africa. I yeah. can't I can't give an estimate yeah, of how right. many there are. I yeah. don't know if we have a good database of that. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, there there aren't many. That's the that's the worry. Um, I think a lot of people, are soil physicists by by their, by their training, and they maybe not call themselves that. Yeah. A lot of farmers who do tracking of their farms yeah. Yeah. are in many ways um, yeah. soil scientists. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I did a lot of my activism around um, uh, environmental and social justice issues. So yeah. that's, that's what's uh, driven me to stay in the space and work on the, on the climate one, because it is so all encompassing.
0: I mean, I know I kind of did not ask you this, but it would be unfair for me not to ask, given the world uh, affairs mm-hmm. now. How is it possible that the war between Russia and Ukraine leads to Africa struggling with food.
1: Mm. Yeah, so in many, in many ways, right. Um, so the first is that uh, a lot of our food security is based on imports. Um, as a continent, we're a huge net importer of foods. And for staples like maize and wheat, most of those come from uh, Russia and Ukraine. So when you have uh, disruptions to supply lines, there we have huge implications for local food security needs. Um, That's the first one. There was also the the rise in fertilizer prices because those supply chains got disrupted, which meant that a lot of farmers uh, it ended up it resulted in them not planting as much uh, for different seasons. When you have less being planted. Uh, it hikes prices um, at different points in the value chain. And the way that our, our, our food systems and our markets are structured in the continent, those those shocks have drastic implications. I mean, we, we, uh, recent research that we, we supported, um, it showed that we had uh, food price hikes of about 30 to 40% higher yeah. than they should have been in Kenya. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was a combination of climate change and yeah. Russia-Ukraine war.
0: And being, being in a continental foundation, are you doing anything with the SATAC, for example, with the African Union, Mm. especially around these issues. Because we do have the limit. Mm. We have almost everything to produce Mm. in our own continent. Why are we dependent on Russia, Ukraine mm-hmm. for all of this? So are you having any conversations? Is that is that an area that the foundation is doing some advocacy mm-hmm. around, in particular with the big continental bodies mm-hmm. like your SATAC and your mm-hmm. African Unions?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, we do have engagements. Um, and it's critical that we have engagements, especially with regional bodies who can yeah. facilitate uh, better trade um um management schemes. So Africa Continental uh, Free Trade Area is is uh, one that we're keeping a close eye on and and um, seeing how we can feed our work into into those conversations. Um, so that, that same report that I just mentioned, uh, we found that you know the having less maize produced in Kenya could have been compensated with better trade routes to Tanzania, who had bumper crops that year. Which is results in better um, prices for farmers and better prices for consumers at the end of each value chain. So, um, th- we do have conversations with the AU, with Eco-wise, um and SADC, uh to to yeah to really facilitate these um, agreements.
0: And finally, man, behind you is the, is a banner that's called Kisima Giving uh, platform. Uh, it's a Swahili word which means a uh, well. Uh, and of course, wells are important in this discussion around climate change and others. But in this case, we are using different, talking about a well that refers to a source of giving, that source of sharing. And I'm interested if you do have a story, but if you don't, that's still fine. We can find ways of uh, working with you. But do you have any story of giving or sharing that is within the philanthropic but climate related space of anyone? It could be could be a group of individuals, pastoralists, or others well working to solve climate change. It could be a group of funders. Uh, we, we, we use this platform to showcase good stories of sharing and of giving. Mm. Yeah, tricky
1: because ACF uh, we, we tend to work at a relatively high level. But I think maybe, maybe one, um, one thing that we're working on at the moment is um, setting up a farm um, with uh, six female farmers. Um to make sure that uh, you know better forms of agriculture are really prioritized, and um, that uh, the the agricultural community sees the value in women leading uh, farms there it's um, you know it's critical, especially on the African continent, where women are the primary drivers of agricultural yeah. production, yeah. ultimately dependent yeah. on it. Yeah.
0: Malik, thank you so much. I know uh, we just grabbed the opportunity while we're here to talk to you and to hear a bit about the African Climate Foundation, but the work that you also do, I was very excited to learn about this particular expertise that we have in the continent around soil scientists, which uh, for most people, we take it for granted. Uh, And like we're saying, if we are not careful in the next few years, we might run short of oracle land, and that will become even a huge problem in addition to already problems that climate change is already creating for us. If there's any pandemic that we can already foresee, it's a pandemic that's related to climate change. So, wishing you and the Climate Foundation all the best in the work that you do, and thank you for joining us. That was Malik from the African Climate Foundation. Thank you for watching. Join us next time. listening to the Capsi Podcast Series, Conversations on African Philanthropy.